Yeah, I think that a lot of it runs to, it, you know, it is a different country and they feel comfortable with the laws of their own country and the taxation of their own country. And I think that's one of the big things is they're like, how am I going to get taxed? And how do I figure this out? And, you know, I just don't know what to do is that I think the big thing. And yes, you are going to be paying taxes in both countries, but there is a tax treaty. If you pay tax in the U.S., then you're going to get that back on your tax return in Canada as a deduction. And a lot of times, I'm not a CPA, but the way I look at it is they basically, Canada Revenue will tax this property like it's sitting in Canada, and then they'll subtract off any tax you paid already in the US, right? So the likelihood is you're actually going to be paying more tax to Canada Revenue than the IRS. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Glenn Sutherland is a real estate investor from Ontario, Canada. He started his journey purchasing buy and hold rental properties here locally in the, the Cambridge uh, Waterloo area. After a lot of research, he learned more about the favorable laws, lower property taxes, and lower cost of entry south of the border, and started investing heavily in the United States. Yeah, and these days, Glenn is investing in the USA by purchasing and renovating projects, primarily single family homes in various states. But he also hosts a podcast and YouTube channel entitled A Canadian Investing in the US, where he provides information and advice to investors interested in investing both in Canada and the United States. Glenn has invested in both USA and Canada, and so he understands the advantages for investing cross-border to achieve higher return on investment on his investments. So if you've thought about getting involved in US investments, this is a great informative episode. Here's Glenn. Hey, uh, Glenn, thanks for being on the show today. Really excited to have you here and to learn a little bit about a Canadian investing in the USA. So uh, without further ado, maybe you can just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us about your journey. Uh, how did you start investing in real estate? Sure. First, thank you for having me. And yeah, I'm who I am, uh, Glenn Sutherland. I invest in a bunch of states. In the U.S., it's not one like one location specifically. I run the po two podcasts, Canadian Investing in the U.S. and Advanced Real Estate Investing Talk. And I guess I started with uh, investing in Ontario. I think like most people, and started investing in my own backyard. I had an amazing tenant that moved farther away, and I ended up moving with them. Basically, I found home for them, and I moved them into the home and made a win-win so that I kept them because I wanted to keep them forever. And I taught me how to do distance real estate investing because I didn't physically move there. They moved there. And it gave me the opportunity to you know, start 
getting some systems, start to test my what I mentally could do from a distance. And once I was comfortable with that, we're talking like six years ago, seven years ago. Back then, there wasn't a lot of Canadian content on like iTunes or podcasts, right? Uh, so I was mostly soaking in American content and I just started building notes and building notes. And I used to have a day job where I drove around a lot. And I just would pull over and write more and more notes. And I listened to podcasts like oh, probably like five, six hours a day, which is excessive, right? But I, I, I did it the hardest way. That's the hardest way to, to learn this is to spend like six hours a day listening to podcasts. But a lot of the content is out there. It just takes forever to get through it. So I did that. And I, after that, I decided, you know what? I'm going to branch. I'm going to go try the US. And we started with Alabama. And then I went into Missouri. And then Indianapolis, and then I started to build Alabama, and then I started to get into the renovating and doing the hiring contractors and really adding value, and that grew. And then I started taking on private money and joint venture money, and it grew more. And then we expanded into Ohio and uh, Florida, and uh, we're going into different parts of Alabama now, and it just keeps it just grows. And I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of the story in in a nutshell. It started with uh, one little property and a good tenant that helped me make the leap to some distance. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, and, you know, we're seeing uh, so many more investors now, uh, especially in the last, uh, I would say, two years since the pandemic started, because of the cost of uh, real estate in in Canada and Ontario specifically. You know, a lot more people are moving or looking at other places, either other provinces or down south. And what was the one, a couple of the big reasons why you started to switch um, when it wasn't as popular? Like this was several years ago. Yeah. So really, it was like five reasons really that I started to move down there. Um, it they were really appealing to me, and price obviously was one of those things that you just touched on. Have you ever bought a house in Canada for $5,000? Because I haven't. <laughs> so uh, I got into found, you know, I didn't, have, that's not where I started. A lot of times I was buying around the seventy-five dollars or $100,000 mark when I started, which still is phenomenally cheap. But, uh, you know, there is a lot more opportunities there. Um, the ratios to ARV, right? So a lot of times I can buy houses for like, $20,000 that have an ARV of $200,000, right? So there's a lot of room in there which is very difficult to find here. Property taxes and just the taxes in general, where there were some advantages there. Whenever you're thinking about these tax advantages, though, you got to consult a Canadian CPA as well, because you may get the break on the US side, but you may not get the break on the Canadian side because you're still a Canadian resident, right? So something to keep in mind, but like some of the big things is uh, for taxes, which just like, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the US, you can write off a truck in year one. Like you could go buy a truck in your corporation, write the entire thing off in year one. So think about it. If you had like a $100,000 liability to the IRS, you could just buy a big fancy truck and write the whole thing off and pay a lot less taxes, right? There's lots of things like that. But with all that stuff, you have to, you have to consult both sides to see how it's going to work. And depending on where you're investing in the United States, there could be a personal element to it or a vacation element. Um, a lot of times now I'm traveling back and forth to Florida. So there's, it is for work. 
I am speaking at conferences and stuff like that. But, you know, it is a vacation. It is kind of fun. Um, you know, I only speak for an hour a day. So the rest of the time is kind of enjoyable, right? So there's, there's advantage to that. And even if you had rental properties to go see them and stuff could be part of a write-off. But, you know, once again, consult a professional CPA to see how, what, what percentages, what, how much time you need to spend at these and be in line for it. Landlord laws was a big thing. I was an Ontario investor and I was actually when I was an Ontario investor, I was also a property manager, which I shouldn't be. <laughs> I know my strengths and my weaknesses and being a property manager is a thankless job. But down there, uh, even when you're going there, and this isn't across the board. State, some states are better, some states are worse. Um, so do some research. But the main thing I was looking for was the ease of evictions, how long it would take to do evictions, how, when I could start doing the eviction and rent raises, right? I'm not even sure what Ontario's at right now. 1.2 or something like that. 1.5. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I just raised my rents 20% across the board last year in the US because I picked markets where I can do that, right? Lending. Um, lending is an advantage and a disadvantage. So one thing that's an advantage for lending would be like the 30-30 loans, which what is that? It's 30-year term and a 30-year amortization. So if you want to make your like real estate predictable, because that's one of the hardest parts. It's going up, it's going down. It's all over the place. By having your lending straight all the way through, say there is some sort of recession or something on the brink that's about to happen. I don't know if there is. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. But you can ride it through. You can ride right through that thing if you have your financing set up. A lot of people had troubles if your financing expired while the banks were closed. And even still with COVID, they closed the banks for like a month. Because they're just like, there was no lending, there was no cash out refis, and you don't want to be stuck at that spot where you need a lending, you need a renewal of your loan, and they're just not doing loans right now because they're scared. The American banks, when things go are sketchy, they just stop lending. <laughs> they play it safe, right? So that is something scary to do, right? The other thing about the lending is I, I'm not personally qualifying for these loans. Which, what does that matter? Well, first of all, it's going to make your loan a little bit more expensive, right? But it's scalable. I'm not limited by how much income I make. I'm not limited by you know the 10 house rule or any of that stuff. I could go buy 50 houses, 100 houses, 200 houses a year, and that's fine. It's like, how, how, many, how good of a deal finder am I? And that's what they're gauging this on. They don't care how much I make from my nine to five job because I don't have a nine to five job. And that's the other thing that gets me in trouble trying to qualify for personally qualify for stuff because a lot of times they're looking for that, right? Yeah. Population. The, the United States is about 10 times the population of Canada, which what does that mean? Was that important? Well, there's still great cash flow numbers in Ontario, right? You just might have to go farther up north to find those same, be on the same page, right? As certain parts of the States. But the difference is some of those towns are, you know, a couple thousand, right? Whereas you could be getting those same numbers in a market that has 50,000 in the US, right? And there's more, the market's more dynamic, meaning that there's more industry. There's not, it's not a one horse town that could have medical, depending on what market you're talking about, a big medical industry and a tech industry and a lot of different things going on in that market. So if one industry moves out, you're not up the creek. So it makes things a little bit safer. And honestly, I don't want to be a property manager. And by <laughs> I kind of touched on that, by being in the US, uh, I don't have the ability to be the property manager, which is good. Because when I was in Canada, 
I lifted a hammer. I do trim. I put the kitchen in and I don't want to do that anymore. It's also hurts you being scalable, right? Um, if you can free your time up, you can spend your time doing activities that make money, which is finding deals instead of running the properties. You can assign that out to someone else because you don't have a choice. You're going to assign the renovations out to someone else because you don't have a choice, right? So it is going to be expensive, more expensive because you're not doing it yourself. But it's, it's about building a business, being a business owner rather than being a property manager or a landlord, right? So it's a little, it's a slight change. Um, the big downside is the financing is more expensive. I was planning on talking about the financing, but it just dawned on me. But financing is more expensive. It, it's always expensive. Even personally qualifying the Americans, their lending is more expensive than Canada all the time. <laughs> so those are, those are my five points today that I, I was thinking were the big advantages of why I decided to go to the U.S. Yeah, well, no, this, uh, those, that was a, a lot in a, a, in, yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah, I know so much great information there. Yeah, for sure. And so in terms of strategy, is it primarily a buy and hold? Maybe tell us about this. Is it primarily a buy and hold? Is it a burr? Um, and what type of properties are you buying? Yeah. So I do. I found that the best way to do everything is kind of a mix. It's like buying mutual funds. You got to kind of mix this around a bit. So what I buy uh, typically is single family. Well, I buy one to four units, right? So when I buy single family homes, um, I'm really looking at them as a flip uh, or a lease option contract for deed or you know, basically a rent to own for the properties for the when I'm doing um, single family homes or flip, right? Basically, I'm doing a flip or a long flip, <laughs> which is rent to own, right? And whenever I'm doing the two to four units, it's basically a burr. We, we buy them right. Um, we renovate them. And I renovate everything. I don't, uh, we don't buy anything really turnkey at all anymore. Sometimes it, it is still appealing. I just actually put one under contract this morning. But <laughs> normally I don't buy these, but I found one that was running at like close to the 3% rule and needed nothing done. So I was just like, eh, it's an easy one. <laughs> Let's do it. But normally you make your money when you renovate, you make your money on your buys. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm doing a renovation on everything because that's how you're going to be safe. If you believe that there is going to be some sort of downside, or downside in the market or the slope or anything else in Canada or the US, you need to buy these things right and you need to add value, right? And if by buying turnkey, you're kind of hoping that the market just continues to go up forever. But with these upward pressure on interest rates, I find that that's a risky, that's the riskiest thing to do is to hope that that appreciation is going to keep going. Yeah, for sure. You touched on uh, uh, a little bit about uh, financing and and uh, you know that you don't have to personally guarantee the loans, and and this is kind of an unusual thing in Canada because anything that is considered residential, you have to personally guarantee. Whereas in the U.S., that's not the case. Maybe touch a little bit about uh, about that. There's so much to go into that financing. Financing. So yeah, you don't have to personally qualify for them. It's about the deal, right? And it's about how well you're doing this. So there's a lot of different loan programs. Like I touched on the 30-30 loan. Um, and it's going to be based on, is that property cash flowing and profitable? And there's a few other things that's going to factor in what your interest rate actually is. But that's usually it. You basically make sure that those things are cash flowing or going to be cash flowing when your renovation is done. If you go into like renovation loans, like a fix and flip loan, um, typically as a foreign national, like Canadian, that's not, well, that's what they call us. 
they're usually 90, 100 loans. So that's 90% of the purchase price and 100% of the renovation you can get covered. Um, the interest rates are going to go up on that, obviously, because based on risk, uh, there's a lot more risk and the bank is owning that property. And if you are going to do renovations, it is one thing I, I don't know if I say I recommend, but it is a good idea to try if you're going to do a renovation because if, you, if it's your first renovation from a distance, because you can learn a lot from the banks. When you watch a bank run this, because they own this property more than you do, whether you believe it or not, they're going to be checking everything. They're going to be checking contractors' work. They're going to be paying for work completed. You can see the systems they have in place, and then you can just copy them. You're like, you don't need to reinvent this wheel. You don't need to reinvent. Just do what the bank is doing. And the easiest way to do is, is to do that. The one thing is, that with all of these loans, that's kind of different from Canada, is you're going to be paying loan origination fees off the front, front end it loaded. So typically, if you're going to say, what are my closing costs? You're going to have your typical title costs right, to, for your attorney or your title company to run these things, which will vary from state to state. But let's just say 1000 bucks. But you're also going to have a loan origination fee. And depending on the lender, it could go anywhere from $1,700 as lowest I think I've ever paid and up to $4,000, right? And it's one thing that when Canadians are shopping down there, they're not even shopping to compare loan origination fees. And they vary a lot. And there's also a thing called points. And sometimes a lot of these fees are front-loaded, right? So if you're doing like that 9100 fix and flip loan, you can cancel the loan anytime. You can pay it off, no penalties, no nothing, because it's all front loaded. Typically, if you're doing like a 30-30 loan, you're going to have a step down rate. So meaning to break it in... This is a fixed rate mortgage, but to break it in year one, costs you like 5% of the loan remaining, 4% in year two, 3% in year three, 2% in... No, yeah, 2% in year four and 1% in year five. And it's a step down, but the step downs can be different. Sometimes they're five, three, one, 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 whatever, right? But there's usually a step down rate. But that's your fees to break. Because a lot of people think about typical Canadian lending and it's based off of a percentage uh, no matter what. If you, so a lot of people are like, you'd lock in for 30 years. What if the loan changes and you want to refi and you have like, you know, 25 left? You could be like, it'd be terrible. But that's not the case. It's, it's all front loaded. And so after that period, there's no fees. So a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and you, you're saying 90% loan to value is how much they would lend on a fixed to flip loan. Yeah, those are typically uh, 12 month loans. Sometimes they're 13 months. Um, but like I said, you can cancel those anytime. And those are readily available for Canadians. Um, you're no, not, and you're be... not talking about a hard money loan either. This is like. Uh, well, it is kind of hard money. So it's like um, online banks sort of things, right? So it, it's. Yeah, well, let's call it online banks. It's like working with like, you know, your Simply or Tangerine or kind of thing, right? You're not going into Wells Fargo to get these things. You're not going into RBC in Florida or TD in Florida, National Bank in Florida, <laughs> any of those HSBC. And there's tons of Canadian banks in the US too, as well, right? I didn't even touch on that, but they are there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's, that's really great to know. And talk to us a little bit about your how you select where you're going to invest. And you know, you've diversified into so many different locations. Why did you do that? And, and how do you continue to justify that change in market versus just you know, sort of focusing on one market? Well, for me, that's two different things. But why I change sometimes is I like to do a return on equity uh, evaluation of my properties. And when, you, when properties appreciate a lot, your return on equity goes down. 
Does that make sense? Because it, you, you have, it's not just that you know fifty thousand dollars you put in when you put your down payment on that mortgage when you started. The, the, say you bought a place for a hundred thousand dollars, and well, that's not a good example, but well, we'll do easy numbers. Hundred thousand dollars, you put down twenty percent, right? So twenty thousand dollars. But now this place is worth two hundred thousand dollars. You really have a hundred and twenty thousand dollars in that property, and what, that will drive your numbers down. And what I like to do with the return on equity calculation is you, you'll sort your properties and you'll figure out which ones are performing the worst. And what I want to do is try and take the bottom and move them up into the top. And if you can't do that, it might make sense to sell. Or you, As Canadians, you can do 1031 exchanges. They're very complicated, um, which is an exchange of properties, uh, which is not a taxable um, event. Um, I don't do that, but I know some people do. So I mentioned it, but I try to move them up. And if I can't do that, that's when I sell them, right? So for instance, I was buying in Ontario and every time I sold a property in Ontario, I'd buy four properties with the profit from one property in, in Ontario, four in Alabama. Now I'm going through the process of selling one in Alabama and, find, and buying four in another state, right? So it, you know, like one property in Ontario could turn into 16 in a difference in the US, right? Um, by some multipliers, right? So it... Yeah, it, that's kind of how it goes. And you got to make sure it makes sense still to keep these properties. And um, sometimes, well, almost always, the value of the properties goes up way faster than the rent can go. So even if you're in a state where there's no rent control and no restrictions on raising the rent, if you raise it too much, the tenants just aren't going to pay. Right? <laughs> there's, there's still what is reasonable rent, right? Um, and a lot of times, if you're looking at that, you can look at Zillow or rentometer.com or my my go-tos. Um, that's all I'd look at on Zillow. Don't use their values. <laughs> they got in a little bit of trouble last year. But yeah. Um, and then the other part was, how do I pick these markets? It's, it's kind of the same sort of thing as whenever I was talking about why I invest in the US, right? So I'll, a lot of times I'll look at vacancy rates for the state, right? Or the yeah, probably for the state or the city, right? Um, the landlord laws. So I still like to run inside of landlord law, good landlords law states where I have good, easy evictions and I can raise my rents as I please. Or sometimes a lot of states I still invest in, you can raise them whatever you like on renewals, which is still fine with me, right? That's, that's still fair. So those, those are the kind of things I'm looking for for the states. The other side of that coin is a lot of people are doing the same thing. If you pick a state that's more difficult, it's probably less competition. So there's always both sides of every coin. Property taxes. One thing people don't think about when they're looking at property taxes, they'll do a quick Google and say, what's the rate? So it's based, property taxes are based on the assessed value, right? So if the assessed value is very, very low, you know, they're not moving their values up compared to a state where they keep the values at the ratio or the percentage that they're charging you isn't as important. For instance, Alabama, they don't raise their assessed values. <laughs> so they're like, houses are way low, right? And you go, wait, what? The same thing happens in Canada too. You look at Toronto and I have friends that live in Toronto and they live in like two or $3 million houses now. And they're assessed for like 300,000, right? So, but you go into like, say a new build in Kitchener Waterloo and you know, you built it for a million and it's worth a million. Right, like it, it's assessed for a million. So you go, how does that make sense? And that's what happens in the state. So it's one thing to think about when you're looking at a new market, or how how the taxes are and what the taxes are. So what I what I mean by that is, I like to try and find the same kind of property. And if I'm going to do an analysis of like say five cities, 
and or find you know pick whatever you like and then you look at it and you can compare what um trying to find same bedroom same bath same type of neighborhood right which I'm not going to go into that because we'll be here all day. But um, there's lots of tools to figure out what na- kind of neighborhood it is and what, what grade level it is and the crime rates. And But you go in and try to find a similar property in multiple different cities and then look at these numbers. What is the property taxes for those exact same sort of properties in different cities in similar neighborhoods? And you'll see great differences. Someone will be charging like, I don't know, I'm, I'm making up numbers, so that's not really good. <laughs> But anyway, um, back to the market part. Otherwise, I'm going to go on. I love to talk, as you can tell. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm hogging the airwaves. Yeah. <laughs> Pick a market that cash flows, which sounds obvious. But a lot of people, they get enticed by certain areas, right? And certain areas don't cash flow as well as other areas. And some actually operate in negative cash flows. It does happen in Canada and the US. So it's very important. Especially if you think any sort of recession is happening, make sure you have cash flow. <laughs> and it sounds so obvious, but there's a lot of people, even people I've been meeting recently who have Ontario properties and they don't cash flow. And I'm like, but they're worth double what they bought them for. I'm like, why do you keep these things? Anyway, side tangent. And check for businesses that employ the 20% rule. So what I mean by the 20% rule is that one business doesn't have 20% of the employees, right? And usually you only see that where it actually comes into play in small towns, right? But it is important because if those places move out, where do these people work? Where are they going to work? And it means that all of your, if they move out, if the people even stay there, they're all going into unemployment, right? And you're getting paid through whichever place you are, some sort of unemployment service. And it may not be the what you want, right? You want tenants that are working, right? Um, and I'm looking for population growth, um, school zones, and crime rates that are declining. Not the crime rates that are... Um, I, I still buy in neighborhoods where the crime rate is considered higher, but I want to see that it's declining because people who live there know that and they will still live there, right? So they want to see that it's getting better, right? So it's not that it has to be perfect. <laughs> Gentrifying, yeah. Stuff's going... You can see what... If you have a property manager on the ground, a lot of times they can just be like, hey, I'm looking at... Or even your realtor. If you're buying with a realtor, um, you could say, hey, when you went to tour that property for me or you pop that... Was there other stuff? Was there renovations? Is there bins on the road? Like, who's is this place getting fixed up, or does nobody want to be here? <laughs> but you should have an analysis done before you're at that point. But it is nice to know, especially I always like to hear that they're like, "Oh yeah, your neighbors is getting all fixed up too in the four down the road." And like, cool. How long? Ago, how far along do you think they are? Do you think I can comp out against them? <laughs> but yeah. So, so in in terms of uh, the the market, um, are you looking at a specific like? you know, two, $300,000 plus population, like larger metros, or are you, are you still going into like, you know, uh, the somewhat tertiary. tertiary markets? Yeah. Sub markets. Um, I'm looking at the main market to be a larger market, but I still am open to buying in the bedroom communities outside of them. Right. Um, and sometimes there's lots of opportunity there because a lot of people are searching like the proper zip. Right. So they're looking at the zip that is, well, say for Dayton, Ohio. They're looking at the Dayton, Ohio. I think it's four, five, four, oh, six, and five and seven. Anyway, and they're looking at that, but they're not looking at all these little towns around the edges the Trotwoods, the Miamisburgs, the uh, Greenvilles, uh, Xenia. They're not looking at all these other neighborhoods. And sometimes there's lots of opportunities that have been skipped over. Right. So 
the, the trick to that is talk to your lender or who you're planning to lend ahead of time because I bought a property in Lacey's Spring, Alabama, and it was just outside of a major city, which is Huntsville, Alabama. But I had trouble with lending because the population was under $10,000, 10,000 people in that bedroom community. So, it, you know, we already are Canadians, so we have more restrictions and you're just, you're just adding an extra layer on this that you don't need, right? So make sure that your lender is open to lending there. <laughs> don't make that mistake. Yeah, no, that's great. And in terms of Canadians who want to start investing in the US, what would you say is the biggest sort of barrier that people perceive that, you know, that is, you know, something that they can overcome? Because I think that for a lot of people, it's like, you know, yes, oh yeah, yeah, we can go down there, but like that's that's a huge feat. Like I don't even know where I would start. I don't know what I would do. Like it it seems like it's so out of reach, even though Really, technically, there's just like this invisible line, right? We're 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 in this we're 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 so close. We can drive across the border, but there is this invisible line that, you know, like if you were to tell me, oh, go invest in Windsor, people are like, yep, I'll buy a property in Windsor. But if you tell people to go somewhere south of the border, all of a sudden there's this like big fear, or at least that's the that's the, that's the feedback we get. Like there seems to be some some barriers. Yeah, I think that a lot of it runs to it, you know, it is a different country and they feel comfortable with the laws of their own country and the taxation of their own country. And I think that's one of the big things is they're like, how am I going to get taxed? And how do I figure this out? And, you know, I just don't know what to do is that I think the big thing. And yes, you are going to be paying taxes in both countries, but there is a tax treaty. If you pay tax in the US, then you're going to get that back on your tax return in Canada as a deduction. And a lot of times, I'm not a CPA, but the way I look at it is they basically, Canada Revenue will tax this property like it's sitting in Canada, and then they'll subtract off any tax you paid already in the US, right? So the likelihood is you're actually going to be paying more tax to Canada Revenue than the IRS. It's, it's, that's how it's going to go. It's, it's, it sounds scary. And the order to doing your taxes, which I know some people get screwed up on at the start, is you file your IRS taxes first because you need that paperwork to go to your Canadian CPA to file your Canadian taxes. So anyway, um, did I really answer that question? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I think that uh, tax is I would the say, biggest, yeah, the number uh, one, the number one question we get um, from investors is that, yeah, like, uh, you know, it's a tax question, you know, it's that, um, you know, yeah. well, how, how are taxes going to be dealt with? Yeah. Yeah. You know, is there, is it worth it for me to, you know, do an extra tax return, you know? Yeah. Um, is it worth it? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, obviously you've shown us that it is worth it and it is extremely lucrative if it's done correctly. And, you know, what we're finding is it just like, it's, 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 there's so many opportunities. It's such a big beast, right? Like you're talking about a massive country with so much higher of a population, so many more major metros. And yeah, I mean, that's just resulting in more opportunities. Yeah. And the other thing I think that people are worried about is liability and getting in trouble or getting sued. And I think a lot because they are more litigious than in Canada, right? And I think the, the main part is to protect yourself properly. And so what would I suggest? I would say it's uh, setting up an entity, right? So um, probably an LP or a C Corp in the United States to protect yourself, put the properties in there. I typically put a million dollars of insurance 
liability insurance on my properties as well. So it has to go higher than that. So I have to be really negligent, um, which I'm not. I, I keep on top of my properties. And the other thing to make yourself less of a target is to refinance your properties. If there's nothing, it's public record what's registered as loans on the properties. Everything, so much things is public record in the United States. So if you make it so that the property is worth so much and there's loans on it, there's nothing to come after you for, right? They will see that an attorney, if someone comes to after them, wants to go after you, they'll go to their attorney. And the attorney's going to look it up first thing, see if it's worth their time. And they're going to go, it's not worth our time. And it's protected in an entity and it's been set up properly. Get a CPA or an attorney. CPAs can set up uh, all your um, all your systems and your, your entity's structure as well. Um, but get someone professional to set this up. You, there is options. And I've heard people, uh, especially Americans, say, oh, yeah, Canadians, just go to Rocket Lawyer and set it up. I would suggest getting a professional because <laughs> and a professional that is experienced in cross-border, like knows Canadian stuff because there is differences between how Americans set this up and how we set this up or, or how they set it up. Right. Don't 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 get make sure that they're experienced. Right. Because even my first entity was set up wrong and had to be fixed <laughs> because I didn't know what I didn't know. But they are fixable. <laughs> but. Glenn, I wanted to touch on, you know, uh, you've been doing a lot of rehab uh, or renovations to your properties. What does a typical look like? Are you are you looking for more light to medium rehab or are you doing like full on gut full on gut jobs? Uh, and and um, you know, like who manages that whole process? I've done both. I've done everything. Um, I, when I first started, I started with the light rehabs because that's the safest play. And honestly, I would say do the same. Don't start with a massive thing because that's where contractors will screw up the most. They let test them out on something lighter <laughs> to start with, right? And then you can build them up. Um, but I've bought in Jacksonville before and those properties were on the block to be torn down. So it was everything. It was restructuring the house, electrical, plumbing, HVAC, everything, right? Um, and we did a bunch of those last year. And there is the most money in those because you can buy them steeply discounted, right? And it is a lot of work and it is going to be longer timeframes. But there's uncertainty in the market right now as the interest rates go up. And I'm picking, I'm picking lighter projects now, right? I want to be in and out faster, right? So I'm looking for something that isn't ideally where we don't even have to pull permits, but I still do. Um, I still pull permits on a, on a you know, I pull permits when you have to pull permits, right? I, I follow the law. Maybe I should back that up a little bit. But um, sometimes you can do like cosmetic renovations where you don't need to pull permits, where you're pulling, just replacing, you know, kitchen, putting a new roof on it, painting the whole house, new floors. And those are more where I'm interested right now because exposure to the market for a long period of time is a risk, right? So um, being in and out, but still doing a renovation, still creating value and still buying it right. Right. And then, and then is it your property manager or general contractor they just hire to carry on that work? It depends on where, what state I'm in. I've done it both ways, right? So yeah, a lot of times I hire a GC, which will handle a lot of this stuff. Um, you still do have to manage your GC. That You don't Correct. just like <laughs> wash your hands up. Oh, they've got it. No, that's a bad idea, right? But yeah, GC, uh, property manager, you could turn a property manager into a project manager um, because... Property managers are paid as a percentage of rent. So you need a project manager. So you could hire a project manager or you 
could hire really anyone. And sometimes uh, your property manager could be open to that. Um, and it depends on the situation and what you're trying to do. But yeah, you just have to figure out a rate to pay them and what you're looking for. And with all of this, whenever you're hiring anyone from a distance, the more specific you can be about what your expectations are and what you're looking for, the more likely you'll get what you're looking for. It sounds really obvious, but a lot of people hire these things and they haven't told them what they want. They haven't told these people what they want, what they need out of this project. How often do you need communication? You know, how often do you need photos? You know, what are you looking for? Just be as specific as possible. And so you get what you're looking for because there might be a different rate for some of those things. And with anything, I don't like add-ons. I don't like add-ons from contractors, project managers, any orders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, change orders, none of that. <laughs> so yeah. set sure. expectations. <laughs> Yeah. So, and, 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 you know, you've done uh, several dozen deals uh, all across the U.S. And was there a, a point or is there a reason why you are not going into the larger more than one to four units? Um, like, you know, perhaps a smaller apartment building. Um, are you not, you know, is a couple no, of we, We've looked at those, right? And I still, I still may, but... What it came down to is actually I was in a mastermind in Florida and I was really debating that and was looking at um, scaling it up to buy some uh, 50 unit buildings. And I talked, I won't do name drops, but I was talking to a very smart man who was down there and he was like, he he used to run um, a flipping business and he's like, we did 60 flips a year and I was, it was the worst time of my life. Right. And I switched to self-storage and that's what his transition was. And he's like a lot less work. Right. And he's like, oh, so how much do you work? How often do you work? And I'm like, well, I try to pack everything in to everything. My interviews, my talking to my contractors, property managers, everything into Tuesday and Wednesday. And I like to take five-day weekends every week. And he goes, and how many houses do you do? I'm like, I typically renovate 18 to 22 at a time. And he said, why would you change that? He's like, you've got it down to a system where you work two days a week. Why would you start? To, why would you mess with this? And it, it's shiny object syndrome. I, I I think of it sometimes where I I went and bought some Airbnbs. I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. But I'm like, this is a lot of work. And I'm like, you know, there's money in it. But I'm like, I I want. I'm looking for the life. I'm looking to not do real estate. I, real estate is a means to an end, and I understand it. But there is so many different ways to make money in real estate. You know, there's all kinds of just notes, investing, everything under the sun. But what I'm looking for now is the freedom from real estate. Um, I put my time in and I've worked really hard. And, you know, you sacrifice your life and everything when you're trying to build this. And then once you get there, I'm now trying to work, build more and more systems to work myself doing less and less and hiring more and more people to do everything <laughs> so that I don't have to do it. So that that's really one of the things I still probably will buy a 50 unit building uh, this year, but it, it is not going to be my thing. It's um, I have a, a niche and I, I can repeat it very quickly. And I have contractors that we all know, and we have expectations set and we've been doing it over and over and over again. And it's, it's now almost like a turnkey operation for me where I can find the property. I can send it to them. They can walk the property. They can verify my renovation. I have um, an, a realtors that will verify the ARV. I have the property manager that will verify the rent comps. I do all my work first. And then you basically can turn it over to them. And I've worked with them so many times. I, we know and trust each other. And that's what I want now. I want 
to not work my brains off anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, because so you have um, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, you, yeah, you have wife and two kids. How how um how old are your kids? Um, five and seven. So yeah, I, I'm. They're home for the summer. I'm not working this summer. I want to test the systems and step myself out, and I want to play with my kids. I want to build tree houses and go swimming. <laughs> so yeah, completely understand. So in terms of like your you know your goals with the business, so is it. In most of the locations, I think we touched on this a little bit. You renovate them. Do you keep everything? Are you consistently looking to grow your portfolio still? Or is it just a matter of sort of burring them out and then moving in or selling them at one point, moving into other markets? Like what is sort of your vision for your business moving forward? Yeah, like I I think I kind of touched on it, but I'm I'm kind of keeping about half of them and we're kind of flipping about half of them, right? So um, it's... It's a nice little mix. And I actually learned this from a book is you want money now, money soon, money later. You do lease options, you get all three of those parts, right? And then just by doing flips, you get big chunks of money right now. But it's that you can't ever retire on them. You're going to have this working job for the rest of your life. So I also want to keep building the portfolio, but I like the chunks of money. So I, I kind of do both, right? Because I, I, you know, that's how you can. We're putting a swimming pool in my house. That's how you pay for the pool is doing some flips, right? And, but, you know, if you are looking to like step out, cause you, you know, like this is, you don't want to be doing this when you're 80, 90 years old, right? So you, you want to build it so it's a cash flow and it's really passive as well. So I think with everything is to try and do as many different things as possible and just keep challenging yourself. If it scares you, you're probably onto something. Just push a little harder because you're probably pretty close to getting something else that's going to be better than when you, especially if someone's giving you this idea, who's a good, who's doing bigger things than you, it's probably a good idea. Push yourself a little harder, make yourself uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. Really nicely said. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no. So Glenn, um, lots of, I think we, we could go on. I mean, there's so many great things and, and you, you know, you seem like a wealth of knowledge. We could continue to pick your brain, but um, just as we sort of come to a close here, is there sort of a quote or a saying that, you know, really resonates with you or your life or how you run your business that you'd want to share with us? Especially like maybe your secret to how you're able to do, uh, you know, pack everything in, in two days. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty remarkable. I don't have a quote, but I think the, the main thing to think about when you're trying to build systems is anytime you get anything to do, sit down and think about, could somebody else do this, right? And like, you, um, for instance, we've been doing some uh, properties and they're in, what do they call, opportunity zones where the government will pay for the renovation of those properties. The paperwork is extensive. I don't like paperwork. So I just asked my property manager, could you do this for me? And they go, well, there'll be a cost and you have to give us limited power of attorney. Okay, because I don't want to do it. Right. And anytime you get anything to do, just even the way I started, start a day planner, write down what you do each day, and then figure out how to get rid of as much of it as you can. (laughs) Yeah. And it's some of the stuff is a lot, some of it people will do for you for free. Right. But don't try to get everything done for free because that you'll, you're, it'll stagger your business. Right. People need to get paid to do it. But sometimes, uh, property manager, other companies, it's, it's so related to what they're already doing for you that they could take that extra half step and, and just do the whole thing. Like for instance, uh, setting up utilities, maybe have the contractor do it and just say, bill me for it. I don't want to set up the utilities. You set the utilities up and send me the bills, just a confirmation, like the receipts that they're paid and I'll pay you. I'd much rather do that. Just 
anything you find yourself doing, see if you can get it off your plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brilliant. no, that's great. It's just like that book, uh, you know, Who Not How, right? So uh, we've referred to that before, but it's a great book. And it's, yeah, it's, it's you know, you shouldn't be, I guess this, the moral is you shouldn't be inhibited by doing something because you don't have time to do it or you don't want to have to do it. It's, you know, do it, just figure out who else can, who else, who you can delegate those tasks to. So yeah. Yeah, Glenn, it's been a real pleasure having you. We we personally learned so much. Our, our listeners are going to get a lot, a ton of great value from from this episode. Yeah. And so if people want to get in touch, we'll put in our show notes as well. What's the best way to reach out? Um, I guess probably my podcast is probably the easiest way to find me, Glenn. Uh, sorry, Canadian Investing in the US, uh, Advanced Real Estate Investing Talk. And if you want to get a hold of me, it's Glenn at GlennSutherland.com if you want my email. Nice and simple. One end. <laughs> uh, a lot of information, great information on your website as well, GlennSutherland.com, uh, which has a lot of you know, like videos and um, just whoever's interested in learning more about the the U.S. market from a Canadian perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks again. Thanks again, Glenn. It was, uh, it was great. Thank you for having me. This was lots of fun. All right. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.